You got to operate in truth, right? Operate in truth. Tell the truth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Gator Truth Florida Football Podcast. I'm Daniel, and on this episode, we're going to take a look at some things I want to see from the 2023 Florida Gators football team. And if you have not checked out the rest of our season preview episodes, please do so. The things we look at today are things that are built up on those previous episodes where we've looked at the offense position groups, defensive position groups, as well as the schedule. And so this one's going to take into account things that if we complete them will have a much better season for the Florida Gators. At the end, I'll also take a look at the range of possibilities for the Gators as I look at the low end of the unlikely of where we could end up, the more than likely place we end up, and what will probably be the top achievement we could get as far as wins and losses this year, in my opinion. With that said, let's go ahead and get into what I want to see from the Gators in 2023. The first thing we're going to look at is what I want to see on the offensive side of the ball from the Gators. The first thing I do want to see is a top 50 passing offense. That really doesn't seem like much. However, Billy Napier's passing scheme throughout the eight seasons he's called plays has only had one top 60 passing offense, and that, well, inside the top 60. He did have one number 60 at Louisiana, but only one inside that top 59, I guess you could call it, and that was the year he was at Arizona State. The lifetime average national ranking is 75th in the nation for Billy Napier's scheme. This year, he has more talent than he's ever had at the receiver position and at the running back position. And I believe that could get him to the top 50 this year. And if they do, it'll take a lot of pressure off the running game. So it's something I want to see, but it's something I do think is very achievable. Just as an example, last year, number 50 in passing happens to be Utah, who will be opening the season against in one week. And they ended up with 249.2 yards per game passing. Last year, the Gators had about 227 yards per game per passing. So I'm only asking for about a 25, 30-yard improvement for the Gators, possibly more. But with the speed we have at receiver now with guys like Ricky Pearsall, Aiden Mizell, Ethan Wilson, Andy Jean, and, of course, solid guys who may not be quite as fast and Caleb Douglas, I do think that this is a unit that could produce this as well as tight ends such as Arliss Boardingham and with Billy Napier coming out and saying running backs will be involved in the passing game more. So guys like Trevor Etienne, Montreal Johnson, guys that I really think can catch the ball and move, this should be an achievable goal. Moving to the next thing I want to see for the Gators offense, and that's I want to see at least 1,000-yard rusher. As this is a run-heavy offense, and I do believe we're going to have to rely on the run more than normal, I think it's possible. Last year, both of the backs put up around 1,500-1,600 yards combined. And that was began the season. If you remember, they are splitting carries with Naquan Wright. Trevor Etienne was still getting his bearings 
as a freshman running back, although he did have some good early games, don't get me wrong, but as it gets used to the college game, it's even better. Now they've had an offseason to improve, an offseason in the weight room. They've had an offseason just to have more focus on the ins and outs of this offense, along with several of their teammates, and that could make a good impact as far as the chances of one of them if not both, getting to the 1,000-yard mark, something that the Gators have not seen since 2015, and we've only seen it four times this century. The last thing I want to see, and this is something for the offensive line, I want to see less than 25 sacks allowed. We allowed 16 in 2022. If you've listened to the offensive position groups breakdown, I do think that this year the offensive line is taking at least a little step back. And last year we allowed 16 sacks. Some of that was due to the strength and speed of Anthony Richardson avoiding pressure. And sometimes he had guys draped on him and he threw the ball away. So sometimes we avoided sacks that Graham Mertz not being as mobile or not as big. It may end up being a sack. That's why I'm giving it a little more room, an extra nine sacks, and it's still not a ton to give up. And I think there's chances that'll be way less than 25. But also, I'm not going to kill this team when they don't have a freak of nature at quarterback as far as someone who can have a defender hanging on them and throw the ball away or a guy who can take pressure and take it 81 yards, 45 yards for a touchdown. All right. With that said, let's go ahead. Let's move on to the defense. Things I want to see from the defense in 2023 is I want to see the defense jump up to the top 65 and third down percentage. And why top 65? That's such a random number. That's approximately the top half of college football FBS teams. So if we can go from third to last in 2022, we would be in the top half of the nation if we can just get to that top 65 mark. Last year, if we're in the top 65, we're at least eight and four, if not nine and three. Again, games like LSU, where we didn't get a defensive stop until the fourth quarter, that and it ends up being a one score game. Well, we get some stops early. That's probably a win. And if we get those stops on third down against Jordan Travis, I talked about this on a previous episode. You make two tackles, Gators win that game. Both on third downs, both we gave up big runs on. So we get to that top 65. We're looking at a vastly improved Gator team without really asking for too much. I do want to see the Gators defense in 2023 get at least 15 interceptions. Last year we got nine, and that was a nine when we weren't doing too great with pass pressure, and we were also standing like eight, nine yards off the ball a lot a lot of zone, which is not really the strength of guys like Jason Marshall, who I read you the quote a few episodes ago where Jason Marshall, according to PFS, in one-on-one man coverage, bump and run coverage, he's allowed a passer rating that is less than if a quarterback just spiked the ball every play. So you get this guy now in man-to-man coverage with an improved pass rush, I expect to see more INTs, not just from him, but from the team in general. And it makes sense if there's more pressure, that means the quarterback's going to be throwing balls more erratically. And also there's going to be tighter windows 
if there's more bump and run coverage. So more opportunities for the Gators to get INTs. Last year, Southern Miss, where Austin Armstrong, our defensive coordinator, was, they're one of the top teams in the nation in interceptions. I do believe that's something he can bring to the Gators and our defense in 2023. So asking for a six INT improvement to average roughly one a game, a little over one a game, that's all I'm asking for. And I do think that's an achievable goal, something I want to see. Another thing I want to see, and I think this may be low, and that's I want to see at least 30 sacks during the season. Last season, we had 23. I want to see improvement this year to 30. Again, there's some schematic things, such as being eight yards, seven yards of cushion off the ball that allowed a lot of quick throws, so we couldn't get pressure. That allowed not much time for a guy to get to the quarterback when they're trying to rush, so that lowered the opportunity for sacks when we did stuff like that. And this year, with more depth on the defensive line, I think a better simulated pressure, again, for those not in no simulated pressures where you look like you're going to blitz and five, six, seven guys, and really you only rush four. The thing is the offense, the offensive line, the quarterback, they're guessing which four players it's going to be. It could be four guys lined up on the left. It could be just your four defensive linemen. You could blitz four linebackers and have the defensive line drop into coverage. All sorts of things. And it looked really good when we did it in the spring game. I imagine it'll only be better with all the fall practice coming in as well. And things like that will lead to more sacks. I'm just asking for seven more sacks on the season. And I think it could be possibly better. And as we talked about, if you have bump and run, man coverage, you know, that tight man coverage. Again, tighter windows. Tighter windows mean more delay on the quarterback throwing as he tries to find someone more open. More delay is more time for the defender to get to the quarterback and sack him. And that's the symbiotic relationship between the secondary defensive line. So the 30 sacks and the at least 15 interceptions, they do go kind of hand in hand as if we're getting more sacks, that will probably lead to more interceptions. And if we're getting more interceptions, that probably leads to a few more sacks. And if we're getting interceptions and we're getting sacks, chances are that's also going to help out our third down percentage. And so they really all work together there. And moving on, one last section I want to see are some 2023 coaching wants. First thing I want to see from the coaching staff is aggressive special teams. I do believe special teams can swing momentum they can change games, uh, you know, if they're truly game changers, which is what Billy Napier calls his um, special teams unit. They can change games. How many times in the Urban Meyer era did we see a pump block change a game or a field goal change a game or, you know, Brandon James returning punts against Tennessee change the game? So I want to see aggressive special teams, not just let's trot a guy out there to feel feel the fair catch on a punt or we're automatically not going to try and return or we're putting a slow guy back as a kickoff return man or we're not going to try and fake anything or we're not going to try and block punts. Well, let's not do that. Let's be aggressive. Let's try and use game changers to do just that and change the game. One thing I like is we're talking about Ricky Pearsall. I've heard possibly being the punt returner. Part of me that sees it and says, oh, let's not risk getting a guy hurt 
you know, one of our top guys hurt uh, returning punts. Part of me saw it like that, but then I thought who have been some of the best Gators return men in history. You know, I think about when I was a kid, Jack Jackson, who at the time was probably the Gators best receiver returning punts. I can think of guys like Lido Shepard, Lido, Lido, you know, a great cornerback and all sorts of great players have been back there. It's been very rare where, where we've had guys like Brandon James, where that's just what they do. And that's not saying anything bad about Brandon James. It's more of just a, when I'm looking at some of our top guys returning kicks, I can feel that a little uh, better about it when I remember it's nothing that's not been done before at Florida. One thing I do want to see, and this was addressed a little bit last week, is better decisions in the middle eight. Middle eight, of course, the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. There are a lot of times where we could have probably tried to push to get a touchdown at the end of the half last year, and we didn't. There are times where we also did some very interesting things coming out of the halftime break. The example that I always love to give, and this is not the only one from last season, is last year against Georgia, two, three minutes left. Billy Napier thinks with Georgia having three timeouts, I'm just going to run the ball three times and we'll go to the half. Kirby Smart said, I've got three timeouts. You're going to let me score another touchdown. And that's what happened. Um, so I want to see things that are a little bit better decision, at least try and be aggressive to get that one first down or two so you can run the clock out. And so the other team doesn't get the ball after a punt at like their 40 and then have a chance to score. And that goes hand in hand with my third one, which is great timeout usage. Last year, there were some decent times and other times there were head scratchers. So with that said, if we see aggressive special teams and we see some better decisions in the middle eight, which I believe we will see Billy Napier on a podcast did address that. He has looked at the middle eight um, and trying to do a little bit better. And I believe with that comes some timeout usage improvement as well. So I really think that the Gators coaching staff could fulfill all these wants. I do want to see it happen. And if that does, this will go a long way for the Gators landing more towards the top end of the spectrum. I can see four results this year and not so much at the bottom end. And like I said, we're going to go through the top and bottom chances for the Gators. All righty, let's look at the bell curve for the Florida Gators. For those of you that aren't quite sure what a bell curve is, think of like the Liberty Bell, how it starts off at a low angle, goes high, rounds off at the top, comes back down at a great angle, and then it's a low angle at the end. Basically, your margins have low percentages where the things towards the middle seem to be a higher percent. And I believe that's what we're seeing with the Gators' possible results with the questions of, Will Graham Mertz actually be the guy we're hearing is in practice with the questions of will the offensive line hold up or how's our safety position progressing? You know, there are all sorts of different things. What happens if there's an injury? I do see there's a possibility from 
three and nine to 10 and two, three and nine, I do think is very unlikely, but how we would get to that is we don't pull out the win in Salt Lake city. We win against McNeese state. We lose to Tennessee, which is still a really good team at home. We beat Charlotte. We lose on the road to Kentucky where we've not played well for over a decade or about a decade. Then we come home, we beat Vanderbilt. Then we lose another toss-up game to South Carolina on the road, Williams-Brice. Again, a place we've not played well for a decade. Then we would lose to Georgia. After that, where we're 5-5 five and five in the game after Georgia over the last 10 years, we blow a game against a well-rested Arkansas team who has a bye week before us. Then after that, we go on the road to Death Valley, possibly at night, and take on a very tough LSU team. We would lose there. And then, you know, we go to Missouri, again, a place we haven't played well. After three straight wins, who knows where we – or three straight losses, who knows where we are. We'd lose to Missouri and then not have any mental state to come and beat FSU. I don't think that's happening, but that's how you could get that. Again, very unlikely, very low. But since it's on the bell curve, I do want to explain at least where that logic comes from. In fact, I think I saw Stuart Mandel of um, formerly of Sports Illustrated post three and nine on Twitter today. Rightfully, he got barbecued for it. But again, I'm not here saying this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go through other scenarios, including the most likely one. But that's what the logic is and the thought process is because there are some coin flip games. And if we lost all those coin flip games and all of our rivalry games, we would end up at that spot. I don't think it's going to happen, but at least that's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, 10 and two, we go into Jacksonville seven and zero. we don't quite beat Georgia. Okay. Come home, beat Arkansas. Go to Death Valley at night. Tough task. Two straight physical games. Go against uh, the Tigers. Don't quite pull it out at Death Valley at night. Then we go on the road, get get right back at our winning ways, beat Mizzou, come home, and beat uh, Feshuda in the season 10-2. and two. Is in the realm of possibility? Yeah. Do I think it's likely with this young of a team with some question marks and some depth question marks at some positions, especially if there's some injuries, which will happen in college football. No, I don't think it's too likely, but again, realm of possibilities. It could happen 10 and two. What I think is most likely and what I really think is high up on the bell curve is this range between five and seven, seven and five, possibly eight and four. I do like to go more for the wins, especially what I've seen in open practice. I try not to overreact to that like because we are facing defenses that we know we are not fully hitting at that open practice, but there's still a lot to get hopeful for. But I try and at least keep my expectations down because we've had high expectations not be met in the past. So I'm just going to play, play a little bit lower and hope for better. With that said, I do think 7-5 and five is the most likely outcome record-wise for the season. Basically, that gets us beating the three. Well, we're beating the two cupcake teams. We're beating Vanderbilt, so we're already at three. 
Then all we need to do is win four of the remaining nine games. There are a lot of coin flips in there, especially when you factor in things like, okay, facing a well-rested Arkansas or facing a uh, South Carolina game that is in Williams-Brice and they've had a bye week before us or, you know, Kentucky where we've not played well or maybe Cam Rising is a lot better than we think. I think some people believe if Cam Rising does play, he's going to be Byron Leftwich at Marshall having to be carried down the field by his teammates. And I don't think that's going to be the case if he plays. He's not going to be 100%, but he's not going to have to be carried down the field and be totally immobile either. And so with those toss-up games, we will win some, but I think we're also going to lose some. And I don't think that's always going to be the case going forward, but I think for this year where there's been a lot of turnover, there is a lot of youth, a lot of things can happen. So we will, we may go in and beat Utah. We could beat Tennessee. We may somehow drop one of the South Carolina, Kentucky games. We may beat them both. We may go into Georgia seven and oh, we could go in, you know, four and three, five and two, wherever. And then it's just that tough, ridiculously tough slate to end the season. Missouri is actually one of the top returning defenses in the SEC as far as production, bringing some of the best-rated defensive tackles, one of the best-rated linebackers, and Tyron Hopper, who used to be a Gator. Um, you know, And then a Florida State team who I think we should have beat last year. I don't buy the hype, but they still are a pretty talented team, and if our mind's not in it or if – We've gotten beaten up over the previous four physical games. It might not be the same. Again, I think we have a chance to beat every team on the schedule, but I do think just having a young team, there are games we're going to drop. I would be happy with a seven and five, uh, you know, win loss record, and I'd be a lot happier if it got higher. I do think the chances there to be higher, but I don't want to set myself up for something really high when I do see that there might be a problem with youth or there might be problems on the offensive line potentially, or that there might be a problem with safety where our defensive line plays. Well, there are questions about who's starting at safety currently. So we will see what happens. I, if I had to give a record prediction right now, I would probably go with a safe prediction of seven and five. I definitely think eight and four, nine and three are possible. However, depending on the coin flips, depending on injury situation, I could also see six and six, five and seven. We will see. Again, seven and five, that's going to be my prediction, mostly from a safe standpoint and also just not knowing everything we have. We could come out and surprise me. And at that point, please say, Daniel, Gator Truth, whatever you know me as, we're doing much better than you predicted. I'll be like, awesome. I'm happy that my cautiousness was unfounded. So definitely reach out to me if that were the case. And going on, let's go ahead and talk about some of our friends. First friend we're going to talk about are our friends over at GatorChatter.com. A lot of people use Twitter. A lot of people I hear today are like, why would I go on message boards? Well, Twitter's nothing but an unmoderated message board. Let's be honest. The difference between Twitter and a message board is this. Twitter, everyone's just tweeting at random, unorganized 
you could see a post from 45 minutes ago during a game and be like, wow, where's this come in? Or you could see whatever. Whereas a message board, it's got all those random posters. Some people saying ridiculous stuff. Some people saying not. And the thing is, they're usually under group headings and all the tweets in a game thread are together or all the messages in a game thread are together and all the messages about any subject, Swamp Kings, which came out or anything like that, all under one section. Gator Chatter is the message board that I enjoy. I also do write up little articles reviewing games. I also write up little articles previewing the season. Definitely check those out now. Uh, Tell Ox, the owner, that I sent you. And check out Gator Chatter. They are your Florida Gators sports bar. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to my friends at Alvarez Lawn Company. If you're in the central Florida area and you need some lawn care taken care of, please give my friends at Alvarez Lawn Company a call or text at 407-490-2617 for a free quote. Once again, call or text at 407-490-2617. Or you can also give them an email at alvarezlawncompany at gmail.com. Alvarez Lawn Company, building plans that work for you. And before we go, I do want to say I have watched all four episodes of Swamp Kings on Netflix. If you're not quite aware, as I'm sure there's maybe a few in Gator Nation, Netflix has done a series of their Untold, which are sports documentaries, on the 2005 to 2009 Urban Meyer era with interviews of some of the players, some of the coaches. It definitely is a great watch. I was very cautious going into it, thinking this is going to be a hit piece. I think it may end up being a great recruiting tool for the Gators. Definitely shows what the University of Florida can be with the right athletes, with the right coaches, and all sorts of great memories. I do have to say the MVP for me is... Brandon Seiler of that documentary. I didn't realize what an integral part he played in getting players to buy in and also very openness from Brandon Spikes about how he knew in 2007 going to 2008, he had to become a leader. Lots of fun stories in there. I'm not going to ruin any of them for you, but definitely when you get a chance on Netflix, check out Swamp Kings. It is great for any Gator fan or any sports fan. And with that said, I think this is going to be an exciting year. We will have a Utah preview before heading out to Salt Lake City. We do have, as of this recording, well, as of this release, actually, one week until the Gators kick off their 2023 season. I can't wait. I hope to see some of you in Salt Lake City. Please remember, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like subscribe share with friends if you're listening to us on audio thank you for listening and do share with friends and as i tell you every week thank you everyone for listening and as always go gators